Just want to remind um, table leaders to take attendance in the lead app. Um, and I think that's our only announcement um, for right now. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then I'll take a minute to introduce myself, and then we'll get into our lesson. Um, before I pray, I'm just going to mention, since we are studying the Old Testament and the land of Israel, I'm going to spend a little bit of time in prayer for Israel and Gaza and all of the people that have been um, irrevocably um, affected by the conflict since um, and the war since um, this past weekend. So would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, um, we are grateful for this space and for this time to come together with brothers and sisters and um, look into your word and to um, study the beginnings of the redemptive um, story um, that you have written since before um, the foundation of the world. I thank you um, for New City and for its leadership and um, their commitment to um, studying the Word of God and um, the commitment to discipleship and um, helping all of us to grow in our understanding of your Word and of who you are um, and helping people find and follow Jesus. Um, we pray right now with believers all around the world um, for the people in Israel and Gaza who have been um, affected by this war um, that has clearly been planned for um, a long time and is now um, being played out um, right in front of all of us. Uh, we pray Lord Jesus, that you would preserve life, that you would um, allow this horrible tragedy to um, bring many people to a saving and thriving relationship with you. Um, Lord Jesus, would you strengthen and uphold um, your followers that are in that area so that they might in turn care well for the people that are around them both those who um, are in Gaza and those who are in Israel. Um, Father, you say that you would, um, that all people would come to um, a saving relationship with you, that you, um, your desire would be that none um, would be lost. And so we ask that even in this horrible war, that you would show yourself and that you would bring glory to yourself by bringing many into your kingdom. Um, Father, would you comfort those who have lost loved ones, um, comfort those who have lost homes and businesses, and um, would you um, all around the world, as we watch um, what is going on, would you bring um, more people to um, be a part of your family. Even as we study the beginnings of your family this evening, um, would you set in our hearts and minds um, the prompting Holy Spirit to be praying for this very special place as you call us in your word to pray for the peace of Israel. We are doing that right now, Father. We pray for the peace of Israel um, and that you might be glorified. And Father, as we discuss around our tables tonight, um, a little bit more of the story of your people, 
um, particularly Jacob's story and a little bit of Joseph's story, um, would you open our understanding and help us to see even more clearly um, who you are, the one true God, um, the one true God who self-describes as the Lord, the Lord, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, Father, call us to yourself and um, grow us up in you so that we might reflect to the world around us um, exactly who you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, I am Lisa Giller, and a few weeks ago you met my husband, so I won't do a full introduction, but I thought just to honor another one of our children who got married this year, I'll put one of her wedding pictures up. And so our daughter is in the white in the middle as it's her her wedding. Um, and this was just a snapshot, not an actual photographer picture, so it's a little bit. Um, it was outside. Um, on Memorial Day weekend, which if you don't remember Memorial Day weekend from this this year, it was about 50 degrees and rained from Friday through Monday night, and this was on Sunday. Um, and we were all freezing outside because it was in our backyard. So um, this picture shows all of our family members except for one who is currently holding the most important status, which is our newest granddaughter, Lydia Giller, who attends church here. So if you work in the nursery, um, you might get to hold her um, sometime soon. Her mom is uh, one of the cheer coaches at Charlotte Christian. So Lydia is sporting her cheer um, where already um, Jonah and Amelia are training her up well. Um, so Barry, if you weren't here when Barry spoke a few weeks ago, just a brief um, information about our family. We have been a part of this church since 2010. Um, Barry and I have seven children. Five of those children are married. One child is engaged, and our youngest is a junior in high school at Charlotte Christian. Um, and then um, here's Lydia, and Barry had shown a picture of our other grand granddaughter, Josie excuse me, Josie, who um, is almost two. She'll be two in January. So um, we're going to take a little bit of time right now to review, as we've been doing, um, doing a little bit of review at the beginning of each of our times together. Um, so if you brought your timelines, that might be helpful to you just to kind of give you um, a refresher as to where we have been um, and we're going to do this kind of in large group setting um, to begin with. So the question is, um, what have we learned about God's redemptive story? What are some things that we've learned? And we can start with, um, if you were here and or if you listen to um, the introduction, which was given by Gabe, um, what did Gabe, how did Gabe kind of set the picture for us? We were meant to live in a perfect world. Thank you, Vicki. We were made in God's image. Anything else that Gabe, Gabe spoke to us about? 
Absolutely. This is a love story. Um, from beginning to end, scripture is about the redemptive story. Um, and so then where did we go from, from there? What are some things about uh, creation that we learned? Um, this is when Barry was teaching. What did we learn about creation? It's the one true story. All of the books point to Jesus. Creation was good. Thank you, Brian. And so if creation was good, then how did we get into this mess? Um, Christine talked to us a little bit about the fall. We believed a lie, and it kind of put us on this downward trajectory into the mess um, that we continue to live in today that we're actually seeing played out in Israel and Gaza right now. Absolutely. And so then what did we learn um, when Tammy spoke last week? She talked about the story, the beginning part of Abraham's story. What did we learn about Abraham? He was counted as righteous. He was old. <laughs> yes. He was part of a unilateral covenant. Very important. And he believed that God would come through on his promises, which is what was counted to him as righteous. Thank you. Okay, so let's look at what does casket stand for? Let's see if we can say it all together. We'll just move through the words. We won't say the letter, okay? So it's creation, Abraham, Sinai, kings, exile, temple. Well done. Yay. Good job. So um, we're going to do a little bit of table discussion and um, look at what did we learn this week. So if you had a chance to look at your pre-work this week, I'd like around your tables if you would share one thing that you learned from your pre-work and one thing that you're curious to learn more about. And it would be great if everybody at your table had a chance to share one thing that you learned, and one thing that you're curious to learn more about. Okay, let's come back together. I hope everybody had a chance to share. Um, and so let's just share out to the large group. What are some things that, um, you, that stuck out to you this week um, or that you learned about Jacob's family? And what are some things that you're, you're curious to learn more about? Definitely a lot of family drama. Yes. Parents had favorites. If you're a parent, have you been asked who your favorite is? That seems to be one of my children's favorite questions to ask. <laughs> exactly. They do accuse. My answer was still to this day. 
yes. Anything else that stuck out to you this week as you read the story of Jacob and Joseph? Okay. Well, you guys are an easy crowd. Um, so tonight's bottom line. Oh, so so go back to that. Say that again. Oh, a map in in the book. There's a map. There's a separate map that you can order. Okay, Tammy has timelines and Old Testament maps if you would like to purchase one. Or you can order it on Amazon. Thank you for asking that question. Good question. Any other concerns or questions that we can try to address? Yes, and he and it's interchangeable and it's not only as you go through the rest of the story, he doesn't only stay Israel. Like he's referred to as Jacob even after his wrestling with God and being given a new name. So that is confusing for sure. He, um, he raised the, or he's making a comment about the phrase that God hated Esau. Um, that is a difficult concept to understand. Um, and one that could probably derail a conversation, any conversation about Genesis. <laughs> um, suffice, but just to briefly address that, um, and I, I definitely don't have the um, final answer on this. I have read and heard it taught that this is in comparison to those who were in the line of the covenant. And so, um, meaning not that God hated and disregarded Esau. In fact, if you look at Esau's life, you can see that God actually gave him much abundance as well and also gave him many descendants just like he gave to Jacob. But in the sense of um, comparing those of the covenant to those who were not of the covenant, um, the depth of emotion, depth and strength of emotion and depth and strength of commitment to, um, it would be um, comparable to saying someone loved someone versus someone hated someone, um, but not necessarily that God actually hated Esau and all those who were not of the covenant. I mean, just to carry it out a little bit further, if you look at the rest of the Old Testament and redemptive history, um, we know that God said from the beginning, you know, in Genesis 12, that all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham. And so his intent was from the very beginning to bring in all peoples of the world into his family. Um, so he still desired to have relationship with and to create a way for everyone to have relationship with him or at least been, be given the opportunity to have relationship with him. Um, so in that sense, um, our understanding of the word hate versus love um, is probably not in the same understanding of the biblical authors as they put this into um, the final um, structure that we have today. So context, absolutely. I would say that I would feel that Esau got the shaft. Yeah, I think that's a pretty legitimate way to um, articulate it. Right, exactly. So like as we look at Jacob coming back from where he um, married his wives and is coming back into Canaan and 
Canaan and is about to cross over and he has that wrestling time with the Lord and he crosses over to Jordan and meets Esau. Esau does, in fact, um, show him much grace and, and I would say extends back to Jacob um, what Jacob did not extend to him. Um, and in that moment, I would say um, reflects who the one true God is better than Jacob who was of the covenant. So we're getting ahead of ourselves. So um, let me go back. Um, and like I said, our bottom line for this evening is um, God protects his plan while he preserves his people. God protects his plan while preserving his people. And our key verse for this evening is Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So as we read the stories of Jacob and as we read the stories of Jacob and um, Joseph this week, we were given several examples of God protecting his plan while preserving his people. And this verse from Genesis 50, verse 20, could be applied to several different people and situations from Genesis 27 all the way through Genesis 50. Um, so although this verse is Joseph speaking to his brothers, um, we really could look back at those chapters in between that we really don't get to, we don't have time to look at specifically. And we could apply this verse to many of the situations that Jacob's family found them, in which they found themselves um, throughout the course of Jacob's life. So um, we're going to go back to table discussion, and I would like you to consider this this um, question, what are some ways you see God protect his plan in the stories of Jacob and Joseph? And if you can, um, it'd be great if you could give some specific examples. And again, this is going to be a, a table discussion. So you'll have about five minutes um, to discuss this around your tables. Okay, so who is willing to share what are some things or what are some ways that we see God protect his plan in the stories of Jacob and Joseph. What are some ways that we see God protect his plan in the stories of Jacob and Joseph? <laughs> he preserves Jacob's life. Absolutely. Protects him from Esau. God um, preserved his plan, even in the midst of deceit, at every turn, um, and God was ahead of the deceit using each decision um, to continue moving his plan forward. Thank you. Absolutely. So um, God took the horribleness of, jo of Joseph being sold into slavery um, to provide an advance for Jacob's family to receive sustenance during the famine. He helps Joseph interpret Pharaoh's dreams. God used it all. Joseph was placed in jail so that he could interpret the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. Right, so there was change of hearts in the lives of those who weren't the line through which the covenant goes, um, and God continues to protect his plan and allow um, 
for his covenant to move forward um, and also to um, continue to work in the lives of those who aren't in um, the direct line of the covenant. Excellent. So God protects his plan. So after Abraham is given the promise by God that his descendants would be named through Isaac and not through Ishmael, and that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him, we see Isaac experience his own journey and his own struggle to have children. Um, And after praying for his wife, Rebecca, um, Rebecca conceives, and while she's pregnant, she receives a word from the Lord telling her that there are two children in her womb. Um, Genesis 25, 23 says, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And with this word of the Lord, the biblical theme of a conflict between brothers carries on. And several of you have mentioned that conflict. So the first conflict between brothers that we see in scripture is Cain and Abel. Um, And again, it's the younger brother um, who is chosen and the older brother um, chooses to murder Abel. Um, And then God raises up another brother the third brother, and it's through Seth's line that the, that the line of the covenant would be brought. Um, and so then the second set of brothers that we see in scripture is Ishmael and Isaac. And it's the second brother again, who is the one who is chosen. Um, and although we do not see Ishmael and Isaac in direct conflict in scripture, we know that they are pitted against one another by their mothers. Um, and that understanding that upside down understanding um, of God choosing the second or the latecomer rather than um, what in their culture would have been assumed, which is the um, giving the weight of everything to the firstborn. So then we come to Jacob and Esau. And from the beginning, before they're even born, they wrestle each other in Rebecca's womb. Um, in fact, the language used in the Hebrew um, says that the jostling, jostling is one of the words in our English translations, and that's not quite strong enough. It's actually much more combative of a, um, of a phrase, and so um, think really <laughs> kicking one another um, and wrestling um, and the um, strenuous wrestling that you you know if you were to watch a wrestling match that's kind of the tumbling that Rebecca was experiencing um, while Jacob and Esau were in her room in her womb Um, God told Rebecca before her sons were even born that the younger would rule over the older and in um, like I just said in ancient Near Eastern culture the firstborn had many rights and privileges But the Lord made it clear to Rebecca before they were born that this would not be the case with her sons. So Jacob is born to this mother who's been given a word um, from the Lord saying that the younger um, would rule over the older. Um, We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us whether or not Rebecca shared that with Jacob, but um, we can assume from the stories that we do see in scripture that 
Rebecca favor, we do know that she favored Jacob and Isaac favored Esau. Um, and so in the favoring, she may have conveyed to Jacob um, this word from the Lord that she had received while um, she was pregnant with them. That's conjecture, so we can't really build anything on that. But it's interesting to consider um, how her knowledge of this could have influenced how she treated her sons and what she chose to do with her sons, which may be influenced um, what her sons chose to do. Um, this is just, you know, one of those things to keep in mind. Um, but we do know that before he was born, Jacob was chosen to be a part of the covenant. Um, we know early on in their lives that Jacob tricks Esau out of his birthright um, and capitalizes on the fact that um, Esau seems to be a, a man of passions and, you know, is he, he walks in and decides that he's about to die because he's famished. And so um, it's, it's as if Jacob's got his little paper here and he's like, just sign right here on the dotted line um, and I'll just take your birthright and you can have this stew. Um, it definitely makes it clear that, um, from at least from that particular situation, that Jacob um, was well-versed in deceit. Um, there seems to be a wiliness about him, um, if not only being, he was definitely cunning. Um, and then Jacob goes on at behest of his mother, right? She's the instigator with this, but Jacob goes on to steal Esau's um, blessing as well, and he tricks his father. So he continues in that deceit, and Rebecca, um, as I just said, is the instigator, so she's full on in this. And again, I, I think this points to the fact that she was given this word from the Lord, but at no point do we see her actually trusting that God will accomplish what he has said he will do. Um, she seems to feel like it's been left up to her and she needs to make it happen um, rather than waiting to see how God will accomplish what he has said he is going to do. So they steal. He, um, Jacob has already um, gotten the birthright. Now he has stole the blessing and Rebecca cooks up a plan. I hate it that Esau has married somebody who's not from our people. Um, and so convinces Isaac to send Jacob up to Rebecca's people and to his, and to her brother. Um, so Jacob flees Esau and on his way up to his uncle Laban's, um, he stops at Bethel and um, and he sleeps, and he has his dream. Um, and this is in Genesis 28, 13 through 15. This is his dream of the, um, the stairway that at the top is in the heavens, and he sees um, this, and angels going up and down, messengers going up and down the stair staircase. And God says, Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised. And then, if we look down just a couple verses, we see once Jacob wakes up, we see his response to God's very unconditional covenant. So those words I just said, that God is making covenant with Jacob. And Jacob's response 
starts in verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have slept with that, which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all of that, all that you give me, I, w- I will give to you a full tenth. So God has given his unconditional covenant. He has promised to bring Jacob back. He has promised to go with Jacob. He has promised that he will not leave Jacob. And Jacob's response is, well, we'll see. We'll see how you do. And then if I make it back here, you'll be my God. Um, He then goes on and... um, meets his uncle Laban and meets Rachel and Leah and the whole debacle of the deceit again, as was mentioned, deceit at every turn. Um, Laban is just as deceitful as his sister Rebecca. And and Jacob ends up with two wives and then another two who are the handmaidens who are given to him as wives by his own wives. Um, so that they can continue their um, competition to see who can have children and who can have the most. Um, He then has 12 sons um, and also daughters. We know of at least one daughter, um, Dinah, and her story is included in Genesis. Um, And it is is assumed that there were probably also other daughters, um, but... Dinah is the only one who is mentioned in Genesis. And so finally, after he has spent all of these years, a couple decades um, away from Canaan, he's coming back and he's ready to bring all of his um, children and his flocks and his wives um, back to Canaan and back to the land that God had called his family to. And he's fearful And we see in Genesis 32, I'm going to read verses 30 to 32. Um, And this is after um, Jacob has sent everyone across the Jordan. He's like, y'all go ahead and I'll follow, I'll follow you. But he stays back across the Jordan because he's, he's fearful to meet his brother Esau, who he had stolen the birthright and the blessing, and now he's coming back. And he's heard that Esau has become a great man. And so then he wrestles with God, and, um, and he prevails, actually. And God, it's, it's, it's almost as if God says to him, okay, um, we're, we're done, and yes, you have the blessing now, but it's not because you beat me in the wrestling. It's because I told you that you would have the blessing before you were even born. And here you have spent your entire life grasping for what I have promised you. And, um, and look where it's gotten you. Exactly where I said you would be before you spent your entire life being deceptive and grasping um, and grabbing for things. Um, in the, in the way that you did not need to do. So, um, so Jacob wrestles with God, and when he wakes in the morning, he says this. Um, he called the name of the place Peniel, 
For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the sinew of the thigh. So although we see Jacob finally somewhat surrender to God in this scene before Jacob crosses the Jordan and meets Esau, as he settles back into Canaan, he kind of slips back into some of his previous behavior. Um, He makes it clear that he has a favorite and that one son, um, that his life, the, the life of this one son, Joseph, is more valued than the lives of all of the others. So Jacob, like I said, Jacob lived his entire life trying to grab what was promised to him before birth and ended up a crotchety old man, even though God had given all that he had promised in the prophecy before he was even born. So then we come to Joseph, and he seems to um, not be afraid to play up his role as the favored son. Um, I can kind of see him just in the picture of how some of my children might act to others um, when they have kind of gotten the, the favor of the day. Um, they're not afraid to kind of strut around in front of the others saying, you know, look what mom and dad gave me. Um, and I think Joseph has that same intent. So he has been given dreams. Um, He has the dreams of the um, being in the field and the sheaves bowing down to the one sheaf. And then he has the the dream of the stars and the moon. And so first he just tells his brothers, and his brothers were like, not super keen on that. And so then he goes and he tells his brothers and his father his second dream. And his, um, his father seems to say, I mean, like, it's not like me and your mom are going to bow down to you. Um, but he doesn't, the fa- um, Jacob doesn't seem to do any other kind of admonishment besides your mother and I are not going to bow down to you. Um, and so the brothers take it upon themselves to take care of um, this prideful younger brother and decide that they are going to do away with him. And somewhat more level heads prevail. And so instead of killing him, they decide to sell him into slavery and to convince then Jacob that their son has been eaten alive in the wilderness. Um, So Joseph is sold into slavery and he's eventually falsely accused and thrown into prison. And as a result of being in prison, like Brian mentioned earlier, as a result of being in prison, he then has the opportunity to um, listen to some dreams that God had given to the baker and to the cupbearer and help interpret those dreams. And as a result of that, um, then Pharaoh wants his services, his dream um, explaining services. And so Joseph then is raised to um, a position of leadership to help Egypt um, get ready for the famine, for the coming famine. And so during the the famine, um, we meet Joseph's brothers once again. And in the end, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And 
um, as was mentioned earlier, um, just as Esau showed grace to Jacob, Joseph's brothers um, are, or I mean, jo Joseph shows grace to his brothers and offers them grace and forgiveness. Um, so after Jacob dies and his sons take his bones back to Canaan, the brothers are kind of like, oh, no, here's Joseph's going to take advantage of the fact that dad is not here anymore. And so he's going to um, really put it to us now. Um, and so then this is where we see um, or we hear Joseph say to his brothers. Let me read the um, verse again. This is Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And then Joseph goes on to say, so do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So um, I think, as I said a few minutes ago, this particular verse can be applied to many of the situations that we didn't have time to look at um, in the lives of Jacob's children, um, but it highlights, Joseph highlights the sovereign, in this verse, he highlights the sovereignty of God and how God protects his plan um, as he preserves his people. So um, before we get to the table discussion, the second table discussion, um, just one concluding remark, we can already see that the people in this family show themselves to be similar to the people around them, meaning they weren't the, they were, the, I'm sorry, they were the um, covenant people. And yet, even being the covenant people, they were no different than any of the, um, the people living in their surrounding cultures. Um, they were people similar to the people living around us and probably similar to ourselves at different points. They, um, the people in Jacob's family were conniving and self-serving. They played favorites. They often relied on deceit to further their personal gain. And they acted in ways that they thought would um, enhance their own best interests. In my fantasy world of I think I would have done, I wouldn't have done it that way, I tell myself that I would have chosen people with more integrity, but God has a plan, and um, and he obviously knows best and is able to use all of our um, brokenness and continue to move his plan forward. So um, our next discussion will be around this question, and if you had a chance to do your pre-work, this is taken from page 36, question number three. It might jog your memory a little bit. Um, the question's a little bit different, but um, based on that question. So what are some things we learn about the one true God through his interactions with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their offspring? Okay, you'll have a few minutes. Sorry to cut off the conversation. Um, why don't we share out a few of the things that we learned about the one true God through his interaction with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Praise the Lord, right? He restores and is faithful to his promises despite the actions of his people. <laughs> true. <laughs> true. 
Absolutely. His people still don't believe, even though he keeps coming through, they continue in their destructive pattern of behavior. Excellent. God's covenant was not very wordy, even as he gave it to um, all three of them. And so he was very particular in how he phrased his covenant. Praise the Lord. Yes. It shows that he is full of grace and mercy. Amen. So um, I, I think it's mentioned several times. One of the things that we see in these interactions is that God is faithful to his promises. And he doesn't desert his people, even though they show themselves less than willing to trust him. So the difference between preservation and approval. Um, So the people that we have been studying, um, these are the people through whom God chose to fulfill his promise to bring a savior. And I find it, I I have found it sometimes confusing um, that when we consider the people of Israel, that they were God's people um, and that they were the the people through whom God chose to unfold his plan of redemption. Um, it can be confusing to me as a black and white thinker and try and I would I would like everybody to be one dimensional. You're either really good or you're really bad. Um, it's sometimes confusing to think through um, how did God choose these people when we see very clearly their behavior was Um, anything but honoring to him. Um, And so I think that's why it's helpful to um, discuss the difference between his choice to preserve and um, the concept of approval. Um, It's helpful to realize that there's a difference between his choice to preserve and um, what some would think of as approval. Um, Rather than God giving approval of the behavior that we see recorded, I believe that their behavior is illustrative of the ongoing need for a savior. So way back in Genesis 3, we're told that the seed of the woman would um, crush the head or strike the the head of the snake, even as the snake um, struck the the, um, heel of the seed of the woman. So from there, we're told that there would be a savior that would come um, that would bring um, reconciliation between God and his creation. And um, God is dealing with fallen people. So he is choosing to work through um, the fallen people who have chosen to turn their backs on him, God continues to work through and bring his plan to fruition. Um, And even as the the people in scripture and as we continue um, to live in this fallen world and to um, make destructive decisions, God continues to unfold his redemptive plan. Um, He... And he brought to fruition the covenant um, by bringing the seed of the woman um, and that being Jesus Christ, who brings us the opportunity to have restored relationship with the one true God of the universe. And so rather than looking at, well, it's in the Bible, so 
that must mean that God was saying, well, they're his chosen people. He, he must be um, give, um, giving his approval to them. Um, it's not that at all. It actually just continues to illustrate the ongoing need. And it continues to, not only the ongoing need of a Savior, but it continues to illustrate that these generations are not the one to whom we were to look and that they were to look. Because with each one of these generations, the people have shown themselves again and again um, unfaithful to the one true God. So um, even still, even still, um, even though these people have shown themselves unfaithful and they continue with the sad, destructive cycles of sin in the family of Abraham, God passed the promise of the covenant through the generations from Abraham to Jacob. So um, this is our third table discussion, and this is taken from page 36 in um, your pre-work for this week. Uh, It's based on question number two, and I just put it into a little chart here. So um, if you want to compare using this chart, that's great. If not, you can just talk it around your tables. But we're going to look at the dreams that Abraham and Jacob had, and you're going to compare what was promised in those dreams, um, and then talk about their responses, and um, and whether or not you had a chance to do your pre-work. Everybody can, par- can participate in this because um, the passages are rather short, um, that describe their dreams, and then you can go ahead and um, contrast and compare, compare and contrast. Okay, let's come back together, and let's look at um, what was promised in each story, what was expected um, of Abraham and Jacob, and how did they respond. So let's look at each block um, one at a time. So what are some ideas that you came up with um, for Abraham? What was promised to him? Land, many descendants, that God would be his protector, old age, and what was expected of Abraham? Nothing. Nothing was expected of Abraham. And what was Abraham's response? He got got busy on his descendants. He didn't wait on God. There we go. (laughs) Okay. So what about Jacob? What was promised to Jacob? Land. Descendants, protection. He promised he would bring that God promised to Jacob that God would bring Jacob back to his land. And what was expected of Jacob? Nothing. And what was Jacob's response? Yeah, I'll give you a tenth. If, if, yeah. Well, yes, Jacob was conditional in his response. Yes. 
So what do we learn about God passing on his covenant from these two experiences of how God spoke to them? What do we learn about um, God and his passing on his covenant? It was a gift and it was unconditional. Excellent. God was consistent as he passed on the covenant. Absolutely. Oh, go ahead, Vicki. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, there there's a, a little um, line, but yeah, there doesn't seem to be quite the um, specific situation that Abraham and Jacob both, yeah. Um, so passing on the promise. Um, as God passed the promise and continued the covenant, each person who received the covenant was given the responsibility to respond to God and to acknowledge his sovereignty. Their responses are all different. And yet, with each one, God shows his faithfulness, even when the people to whom he has covenanted himself show their unfaithfulness. And with that, as I just um, mentioned a couple minutes ago, with each generation in Genesis, we are presented with more people unwilling to trust God's plan. As was mentioned, Abraham took it upon himself to get going on his descendants, and Jacob was a little bit unsure as to whether or not God was going to live up to his promises. And, um, and so Jacob and Abraham both leaned on their own understanding um, in order to... Um, move the covenant forward in the way that they thought was best. So one last um, table discussion about our need for a savior. How do Jacob's and Joseph's lives um, show that they are not the promised seed who would bring salvation and instead point to our need for a savior? How do Jacob and Joseph's lives point to our need for a savior? You can have a couple minutes to discuss that around your tables. Okay, let's come back. Okay, so how did Jacob and Joseph's lives um, point to the fact that neither one of them were the promised seed and um, the ongoing need for a savior? Jacob was such a scoundrel, he could not have been the savior. <laughs> I think we would probably all agree with that. He did not have a lot of humility at the beginning of his life. That is correct, yes. So even, I mean, in my mind, as I look at Jacob and Joseph, I would tend to think that, well, Joseph was a better person than Jacob. And yet... He's still not the promised seed because we see how he interacted with his brothers prior to having um, been in, thrown into the pit and taken into exile um, and put into prison. Um, definitely seems, Joseph's life definitely seems to highlight um, another biblical theme, which is. Um, the refining fire that we experience as followers of the one true God, that God uses that refining fire to then 
um, mold and shape us into the people that he has created us to be. And I think we see that a little bit more clearly in Joseph's life. But if we look at kind of the um, overarching um, themes through the stories of Jacob, and if you um, look back um, in Genesis, in um, when we start to see Jacob, you'll see um, a phrase, and these are the generations of Jacob, and then it begins to tell the story of Jacob's um, family and the story of his sons. Um, and so in those 23 chapters from Genesis 27 to Genesis 50, um, those chapters are filled with relational upheaval. They're filled with intrigue and deceit and person after person from Jacob's family choosing their own way um, rather than trusting in the one true God. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, we obviously don't have time to go into all of the stories um, in those 23 chapters, but um, at some point I would recommend that you do go through and read all 23 chapters because it's a pretty um, stark um, picture of the depravity of man um, in one man's family. And, um, and it really is the story that has continued to play for thousands and thousands of years over and over again, all the way to the year 2023, of um, people over and over again choosing what is right in our own eyes and choosing not to follow and to trust in the one true God, um, but rather leaning on our own understanding. Um, Jacob and his children and the stories of his wives, every one of those stories point to the fact that Jacob's family and all of us need a savior, the savior who will be the one true Israelite who can follow God fully and follow God fully without sin. Ultimately, it is God's faithfulness to his people that moves the covenant forward. As we've seen tonight, it has nothing to do with Jacob's faithfulness. It has nothing to do with Joseph's faithfulness or any of their descendants' faithfulness. And it only has to do with God's faithfulness, his steadfast love, and his mercy. Um, and it is those um, characteristics of God, his steadfast love, his mercy, his faithfulness, that carried his people even when they were unfaithful. Despite Jacob's choices to grab for what God had always intended to give him, God does in fact pass the covenant through Jacob. The one true God then goes on to preserve his people during the famine and through the story of Joseph, we see God protect his plan while he preserves his people. And with this, God continues the story of redemption. He continues that story in our own lives as well, inviting us to trust in his plan for our, re our eternal redemption, but also in our daily situations and circumstances, in our, um, in our regular relationships, God offers us salvation and redemption. He invites us to trust his plan rather than our own and to recognize his preservation rather than preserving ourselves. So um, I, our personal reflection question this evening is what will trust 
in the one true God look like this week in a current situation in your life? And how will you practice trust when the obstacles come? Because we can be guaranteed that obstacles will come, particularly when we set our hearts and minds on trusting the one true God. So just take a few minutes to consider these questions before we close our time together. As we continue in the story of God's people and the redemptive story, we are shown clearly how God protects his plan while he preserves his people. Um, Let me close our time together. Um, Tammy. Yes, I was going to say that. Chris Payne will be teaching next week. Make sure you come. He's going to be checking your homework. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, Let me pray. Father, I thank you again for this time and for the opportunity to be reminded of um, your faithfulness and your protection, your mercy, um, your steadfast love. We thank you um, that you have not given up on us, that you continue to pursue us, and that you provide all that we need for life and godliness in our knowledge of you. Um, I ask that you would have your hand on us as we Um, walk into um, the different situations that came to mind just now. Um, Each of us have um, circumstances that are beyond our control and um, that are challenging, Father, and we are grateful that you're not surprised by those, Um, and we're grateful that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you provide all that we need so that we can live in a way that's glorifying to you, um, even in difficult circumstances. I thank you for these brothers and sisters of mine and um, the opportunity to link arms and set our faces um, resolutely to follow after you. And um, I ask that you would just continue to um, grow us in maturity and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.